0: It's good to see you this morning, good to to see and know that uh, so many are are tuning in online from from near and far away. Now, if you have a Bible, I want you to go ahead and and grab that Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, uh, they are in the seats around you, so feel free to uh, grab that. If you don't have a Bible at at all, you can just take that home as our our gift to you today. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to read a a section of the Christmas story from Matthew 1, but we're also going to jump over to Luke chapter one and we're gonna read a part of that Christmas story as well. So uh, for the last uh, couple of weeks, we've been in this series that we've been calling the characters of Christmas. And so we're really looking at the the major players in the Christmas story uh, because so much of their lives are just like our lives. And uh, so we're gonna take a peek into the lives of Mary and Joseph today. And, and uh, we're going to see some very definite uh, connections between uh, what they uh, walk through and what we are walking through this morning. So uh, one of the things that we we do when we read scripture is uh, I invite you all to stand out of, out of reverence for that. And so part of that is because we live in a very noisy world. Uh, we, we live in a world where everyone feels compelled to share uh, their opinion. We We turn on the TV, we see a lot of talking heads and it's just kind of nonstop words, nonstop opinions, uh, nonstop uh, just just speaking. And it's not that our opinions are not important, they are. It's just that we are looking for a word that lasts forever. And so what we do is recognize that the scripture is God's speaking to us, his word to us. That lasts forever and that that really calls for our reverence and worship that he would reveal his word to us. So with that in mind, I'm going to ask you if you're willing and able, would you please stand as we read the word of God, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. So Matthew records this, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then in Luke chapter 1, and we'll pick up in verse 26. Luke records, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And as of his kingdom, there's, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And so the grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God. It stands forever. You may be seated. So if you will, turn turn back over to Matthew chapter one. We'll we'll start there this morning. And um, let me just kind of set the stage for us. You know, in a normal year, this would be the time of year. Christmas season would be the time of year that we would be receiving those infamous uh, family Christmas pictures, you guys know what I'm talking about so these are the pictures of the family at the beach and uh, you know it's just beautiful it's a beautiful picture and uh, the family's wearing khaki pants and uh, a lot of times they're wearing white shirts and you know their feet are in in the beach sand and and so many times the ocean is uh, is behind them and and so Typically, and this is kind of the dark side of, of social media, is it not? That we kind of look at these these kind of pictures and we think, oh, th- that is such a perfect picture, you know, and and then we start thinking they're a, they have a perfect marriage and uh, they have they have raised perfect kids and uh, they just have this perfect life. And, and all of a sudden we just kind of start thinking these thoughts. And then we think, well, I, you know, why doesn't God give me a perfect marriage or perfect kids or a perfect life? And, and so, you know, God's kind of shorted me on, you know, on this. And so, um, and so we started immediately thinking those things. Now, the truth is this. I haven't seen a lot of these pictures floating around this year uh, because this has been anything but a normal Year. And so a lot of us had to cancel our summer vacation. So we never got this pic on the beach this year uh, because this has been an absolute crazy, crazy year. Now, but we do have some family pictures from 2020. Let me give you an example that I think characterizes um, 2020. Now, if you notice this picture, dad, he's on the, they're all on the front porch because nobody's going anywhere. You guys know what I'm saying? So they're on the front porch. Dad's in his jammies there he is clutching his precious toilet paper. And uh, and he's on an all-day Zoom call uh, because of work. And that's why he's wearing the coat and tie. Now, the kids should be doing e-learning. Of course, they're not doing that. Uh, they're playing. They're doing something in the costumes. And mom, you know, she's feeling really good because it's nine o'clock in the morning and she's got a glass of wine in her hand. So so there you go that's uh that's something that we look at and we say, been there, done that, and uh, in some cases still doing it. Can I get an amen to that? yeah, certainly now, what about this family picture? Let me show you this precious family now this is this is Mary and joseph and and this is jesus and uh it's I mean it's a beautiful picture a beautiful- a beautiful painting and you know Mary is so beautiful she's you know got her makeup done and everything, and she looks great and Joseph looks awesome. You know, he's, he's like well-trimmed. He looks like he's just walked out of sports clips. You know what I mean? And, and then uh, the baby Jesus, of course, that's Jesus. So the glory of God there. And then that, that little bale of hey, that looks like a sort of sleep number bed there. Doesn't, it? doesn't that look good right there? And so, um, so yeah, that's kind of the picture of perfection, the picture of serenity uh, in, in their eyes and in their hearts. But, you know, really behind that picture, there's a lot of struggle. And that's not really conveyed in the picture. And so in other words, you know, a picture can only communicate a few things. It doesn't, it's not able to communicate everything. And so behind this is really an imperfect Christmas for Mary and Joseph. And I think behind this is is just the fact that Mary and Joseph's plans for their Christmas have been turned completely upside down. And so there's been there's been a lot of hardship that they've walked through to get to this point, but you don't see that in the picture. There's been a lot of doubt. There's been a lot of frustration. There's been a lot of uncertainty. There's been some misunderstandings. There's certainly been some family tension and family strain, but you don't really see that in the picture. And so there's a lot of struggle going on in the lives of Mary and Joseph just to get to this point, just to be able to take the picture. And I think it really speaks to something, something that's almost unspeakable. That the reality of what we're seeing here really speaks to not only just the, the beauty of the incarnation. Incarnation just means God with us, that God has become man, that God has become one of us. So, 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 really, the, so really Christmas just speaks to the beauty of the incarnation and the mystery of the incarnation. And the beauty of the incarnation is that Jesus would leave his throne in heaven and enter into the darkness and the the brokenness and the struggle that is this world. That's just the beauty of it, that he would empty himself of his divine prerogatives and become one of us. And I think the mystery of the incarnation is really why he would do it in the first place. And you know me, you've heard me you know, preach long enough to know that the answer to that is, well, he loved us, of course. But there was nothing requiring Jesus to come and die for us. There was no obligation for him to do that. I mean, he could have just let us die in our sins and in our rebellion against God. He could have just said, you know, I'll just pass on this one. They're not worth it. And so the mystery of the incarnation is he loved us so much with a love that we can't even comprehend that he would come and give his life for us. And I think what we see throughout all of scripture in general and in the Christmas story in particular is that God will go to great lengths to mess up our plans that God will take whatever step necessary that he needs to take to shatter our expectations of a perfect life and, uh, and to really remind us that he's in control and we're not. You see, uh, if we were really honest this morning, as much as we try to manufacture that perfect family Christmas picture, as much as we try to manufacture that perfect family Christmas, you know, with all the online shopping that we're gonna do this year and you know hanging the decorations and you know a gift exchange or whatever family gathering you can muster in the middle of a pandemic year. Uh, You know the reality is is behind all of that, many of us are discouraged. You know, many of us are just fatigued and worn out, exhausted and frustrated, uh, stressed to the max fearful of what the future may hold um, because it is not going according to plan. And um, and I think a lot of times what happens is we get discouraged and we get depressed and we get on the verge of despair and it's really rooted in this thought that God is not giving me the life that I think I deserve. That That, you know, that he's, you know he's not really delivering on our expectations of what he should be delivering to us, and so what happens is we kind of drift away in our relationship with God uh, because if we're just being honest, if I can just speak freely, we're just kind of ticked off because of the way things have been going in our lives, and they've been hard and it's been hurtful, and uh, and so we just kind of we just kind of aim the you know point the blame to God. And I think if we could just come to that place of looking at this from God's perspective, looking at our lives and our circumstances and our difficulties and adversities from God's perspective, I I think if we could just come to that place of taking just a small step of surrender, a small step of saying, God, you are God and I am not and I'm going to trust you in the midst of these circumstances that I'm I'm in, then I think what would happen, the result would be, is that we would come to experience the peace of God, the power of God, and most importantly, the presence of God in our life. And that is what we need in a pandemic Christmas. Now, you know, when God was messing up Mary and Joseph's plans, uh, Aren't you glad they didn't resist? <laughs> Aren't you glad they're like, no God, we're not doing it your way. We're gonna do it our way. Aren't you glad they didn't dig in and just press for their own kind of uh, view of how things should be going? You know, And, and uh, man, praise God that they didn't because uh, what we see in the scripture is they, they really relinquished control to God's plan. They, they surrendered uh, their lives to the plan of God, even though they didn't understand everything that was happening. Um, probably until many, many years later. Um, but aren't you glad they did that? And so what happened, because they surrendered to God's plan, they experienced the peace and the power in the presence of God, which is, which is really all we need. It's all we need. So here's what I want to do today. I want, us to, I want to take a few minutes, and I want to talk about Joseph's imperfect Christmas. And then I want to take a few minutes, and I want to talk about Mary's, imperfect Christmas. And then I want to talk about, uh, you know, what we do when we are finding that God is messing up our plans. How do you respond when God is blowing up your plans? When he throws a wrench right in the middle of everything that you've got planned for your world and for your life. What do you, what do you do in that? I want to, I want to just kind of touch on that. So, so let's look at, let's look at uh, Joseph's imperfect Christmas. This is from Matthew 1. And let me just kind of walk us through this and kind of explain uh, what's going on in this Christmas story. So, so Matthew records this. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way when his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, So Mary and Joseph are engaged. They are espoused to one another. And engagement back in Jesus' day and in the Jewish culture is very different than engagement in our day and in our culture. Um, Basically, what you had is a a marital contract that was arranged by the parents. And so the groom's father would pay the bride-to-be's father a dowry. And that was really kind of a marital contract. And so uh the bride's father would would ensure that you know in case the future groom for whatever reason was not satisfied he could he could kind of back out of the whole thing altogether so mary and joseph are engaged to be married and what this specifically meant was that they could not live together or have sexual relations with one another for an entire year. And so the purpose of that was to prove their devotion to each other, uh, their their devotion to God. It was was really a time of testing. It was a time of really solidifying uh, their fidelity uh, to God and to one another. Now here was the dilemma for Joseph. The dilemma for Joseph was Mary in the middle of this engagement espousal period is pregnant. Now, what is he supposed to do with this? And and so he's not really sure, but what he realizes is it seems like, at least on the surface, that she has violated the sacred trust, that she's proven not to be faithful. And so at least this is what Joseph's thinking. It's in the realm of possibility. Certainly, it doesn't match what he knows of her character, but... It's, it's reality at this point. And you can only imagine kind of the conversation that took place between Mary and Joseph as she was trying to explain all of this to him. Well, you know, I haven't been with any man, but I'm pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the angel spoke to me and said this and Joseph's going, yeah, right, Mary. Yeah, right. Because this has never happened before. There's not a blueprint for this. And so what Joseph is facing is the reality that he is a descendant of David. And they live in a very kind of small village of Nazareth where, you know, when a scandal hits a small village, a small community, we all know what happens when that happens. Everybody starts talking, everybody starts chirping. And so uh, to complicate matters even more, there was the matter of the Jewish religious law, which basically gave Joseph the right to publicly humiliate Mary as an adulterer so what in the world does joseph do with all of this well we see this in verse 19 because matthew tells us and her husband joseph being just a man and unwilling to put her to shame that really speaks of his love for her and and her family resolved to just divorce her quietly. So, so basically he comes up with the plan. I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna get out of this. I love her, but I can't trust her. I don't know what in the world all this stuff is with, you know, with the angel and the Holy Spirit and all. I don't understand that. And so I'm just gonna divorce her quietly. Now, church, let's just think about it from Joseph's perspective. This is not what he planned. This is not how he envisioned his life going. I mean, I think he probably knew Mary for a long time. I think he loved Mary. I think he dreamed of being able to be married to her and to raise a, you know, raise a family with her and, and to kind of establish their life you know, over the long haul. That was his plan. That was what, what he wanted to see. That was kind of, uh, you know, that was, that was kind of gold for him. And, and, uh, and so it's not going that way. And so when your life's not going as it's planned, as you kind of planned it out, what do you do with that? You know, maybe some of you, you, you know, you, you dreamed of getting married. You, you walked down the aisle. You, you got in the limousine to go off to the honeymoon. And, and all you could deal with is marital unfaithfulness or maybe a loveless marriage or maybe divorce. Or maybe your marriage is good, but your kids have been d- deeply disappointing to you or maybe you couldn't have kids at all. And you know the pain of that. What do you do with that church? Where 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 do you go with that? And so and so I think that's a little bit about what Joseph's thinking. And so the angel all of a sudden appears to him and begins to, begins to communicate to him that God is working. Because you see this in verse 20. And so Matthew records this. But as he considered these things, he's thinking about all of these things. He's trying to figure out how to handle this. Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Do not be anxious to take Mary as your wife for what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit and she's gonna bear a son and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now I love this because God has given Joseph exactly what he needed at exactly the right time. And he explains to him what is going on and what he needs to do. And Joseph surrenders to God's plan at that moment and does exactly what God tells him to do. He takes Mary as his wife. They, they have the, you know, the baby Jesus and they, and they name him Jesus. God has messed up his plans. But man, is it turning into something amazing and breathtakingly beautiful. Now, let's look at it from Mary's perspective. Turn over to Luke's gospel, chapter one. And we'll look at it from Mary's kind of point of view in this. And so Luke paints the picture of Mary a little bit more specifically. Let's, let's look at verse 26. We'll kind of walk through this. So in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth uh, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And, and he came, the angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Man, what a great descriptor. The Lord is with you. Um, But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this was. So she's just, she's never seen an angel before. She's never heard an angel before. She doesn't know. She's just a teenage girl. She's a peasant teenage girl. She's thinking to herself, why in the world are you talking to me? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know who I'm not in this world? And she's greatly troubled that she has found favor, uh, that, that the angel said, the Lord is with you. You know, it seemed like a kind of a normal, ordinary life, doesn't it? That's, that's how she's thinking. And so it goes on to, Luke goes on to say, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Um, And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now this is, I mean, she had to be church wide eyed with what are you talking about? Like she is going to give birth to the hopes and dreams of the people of Israel. That's what she's hearing. And this king that she's going to give birth is going to reign forever. Now, here was the problem. Here's the tension that she's living with. She was raised in a good Jewish family. She understands Jewish law and she understands the ramifications of what the angel is saying. She is pregnant outside of wedlock. And uh, she knows the implications for that. And uh, it had to be scary for her. It had to be absolutely intimidating for her. I mean, back then, you know, they didn't have the resources that we have for, you know, you know for, uh, you know, pregnancies and that kind of thing. She didn't have alternative school and she didn't have a crisis pregnancy center and adoption, you know, she didn't have any of that stuff. What she knew is she knew that she could face scorn for this even though she has not done anything wrong. And uh, she's thinking, nobody's going to believe this story, this crazy story that I haven't been with any man, but I'm, I am pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Who in the world is going to believe this? And then we look at verse 30, 35, um, and it says, basically says this, and the angel, uh, and she asked, and Mary said to her, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Uh, Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And so the angel says, look, God's going to do this. You don't have to worry about it. And so now it's at this moment that her plans get all messed up. Because this is not what she was planning. This is not what she had in mind for her future. She's thinking, I can't wait to get married. I can't wait to start a family with Joseph. We're going to live together. We're going to, you know, we're going we're gonna to do the thing and we're going to have joy and we're going to serve God. That was her plan. And all of a sudden the angel shows up and turns all of that on its head. And she now has her imperfect Christmas. Now, let me just give you a couple of illustrations to kind of dig on this down a little bit more deeply. Um, she has to deal with this trip to Bethlehem, this imperfect road to Bethlehem. And so the the gospel writers tell us that Rome has decided that they're gonna tax the entire empire. So what they do to facilitate that tax is they have to do a census first. They have to count everybody, which will establish the structure for taxation. So that means Joseph and Mary have to go down to Bethlehem, which is about 92 miles away. Right, So this is their Christmas that's getting set up here. And and so now just just think about this. Think about the difficult journey that she had uh, with Joseph down to Bethlehem. This is a a windy, dirty, dusty road. Uh, They're going to walk 17 to 25 miles a day for about four days. And uh, this is going to be difficult. The last stretch of that going into Bethlehem is the most difficult stretch. There's an elevation there of 3,500 feet. And uh, and so this is not going to be easy. And so where did, would they sleep at night? What would the weather be like? Did Joseph actually have a donkey for her to ride on? The scripture doesn't tell us that he had that for her. Hopefully he had a Jeep for her, you know what I'm saying? A four wheel drive, but. I doubt that they had that. They might've walked this thing. We don't really know. But the point of it is this, this journey is far from the Hallmark picture that we see on the Christmas cards. This This thing is difficult and it's hard and it's a struggle just getting down to Bethlehem to register for the census. So things are very much imperfect for them. Now here's the imperfect childbirth. They finally get to Bethlehem and they're heading up to the Bethlehem Holiday Inn and there's no vacancy. And uh, there, I mean, there's so many people that are flocking to Jerusalem and to Bethlehem. Bethlehem's kind of a suburb of Jerusalem. And so there's so many people heading there because of the census, there's no room for anybody. And, uh, and so, and so they, probably, they probably thought about staying with a relative, but for whatever reason, the relatives did not welcome them in. It could be, first of all, it could be because uh, they already had other relatives. They were at capacity. There was no room for them. The other thought, and Bible commentators kind of mention this, that it could be that their family kind of scorned Mary and Joseph because she was pregnant outside of wedlock. That's a definite possibility. And so there you go. Imperfect Christmas. Things aren't going as planned. And to make matters even more challenging, the only place that they could stay was in a cave where you keep animals. Now, can you imagine how dark and damp and dank that would be? And uh, I remember when my boys were born at Community South, man, it was pristine and plush and uh, polished inside Community South Hospital, uh, but where they are, that's not Community South Hospital. Uh, let me let me just tell you that. So. Um, so this is, this is Mary and Joseph's story. And uh, this is their imperfect Christmas. And so their world is not going according to plan. So I bring up the question again. What do you do when things aren't going according to your plan? What do you do more specifically when God messes up your plans? Well, let me share with you three, three things you can do. All right. And uh, the first one is this. When God messes up your plans, I I think first and foremost, we we need to realize that God is trying to get our attention. When God messes up our plans, we need to realize that he's really trying to get our attention. Now, what I mean by that is this. Clearly, Mary and Joseph were chosen by God to play a special role in redemptive history. Okay, they're going to give birth and they're going to raise the Messiah, the son of God. So they have a clear and special calling from God uh, to, to in, in redemptive history. And so, and so the plan was so amazing and so unbelievable. The only way that, that Mary and Joseph would know what's going on is that, that God would speak to them supernaturally through an angel. That's the only way they're going to understand what's happening and and so god sends an angel to speak to both of them to kind of clarify his will for their lives and and to give them direction now here's the thing church you and i don't need an angel because we live in a we we're not we have a different call from god and we live in a different part of redemptive history So you and I don't, we don't need an angel speaking to us. I've never even heard an angel speak. I've never seen an angel speak. Um, I, you know, there's been stories about people who have, uh, but I've never heard it. But here's the point, church. You and I don't need an angel speaking to us because what God has given to us in this time of human history and, and redemptive history is his word. And God primarily speaks to us through the word of God. And so God will speak to you through creation. He'll speak to you through other people. He'll speak to you through circumstances in your life. He will also speak to you through impressions of the Holy Spirit working in you. And you have to be careful with that a little bit. You've got to test the spirits as, as um, John will tell us uh, because Satan can give you an impression and you, know, you can give yourself an impression uh, you can think that a word from God uh, is a, you can think that an impression is a word from God, but when it really is, you, you, know, you ate 16 tacos for dinner last night and it's just a quiver in your liver. You guys know what I'm saying? So you gotta test the spirits. But the primary way, even in all of that, the primary way is this, that God speaks to us in his word. That's how he speaks to us. And so, and so what he wants is to get our attention. And uh, when he wants to get our attention, what he wants to do is reveal himself to us. He wants to show us himself and his glory. Now, here's the problem. We have ADD. We have spiritual attention deficit disorder. Are you guys tracking with me? And part of the problem is this, that we get so preoccupied with the cares of the world. We get, we get so lured into chasing what the world promises to give us that we we turn a deaf ear to God. We're not listening to him because we're really listening to the voices in the world. Or we don't wanna hear what God says so we fill our lives with so much busyness because we're afraid of what God would say to us if we were to be quiet and still before him in his word. See, we're really afraid of what he might say to us. And so what does God do? He rearranges our plans to get our attention. He will throw a wrench right into how we have things, how we thought things should go and how we had our lives planned out. And and so just to stop us long enough to get us to a place of saying, God, what are you trying to teach me? What do you want to show me here? See, oftentimes when our plans get messed up, what happens is we think, God, why are you trying to punish me? Which is the wrong question. The the right question is this, God, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to teach me in this? I love what Oswald Chambers says about this. He He says, the destiny of my spiritual life is such identification with Jesus that I always hear God and I know that he always hears me. See, if I am united with Jesus Christ, I hear God by the devotion of hearing all the time. A lily, a tree, a servant of God may convey God's message to me. What hinders me is that I am too taken up with other things. But our attitude should be, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And so oftentimes when God wants to get our attention, he is is trying to He's trying to grow us and change us and to keep us from making a painful choice. You see, there are a lot of times in our lives when we think something is the right thing to do, but it is absolutely disaster in the end. And so God's trying to get our attention to say, I don't want you hurt. I, I want to bless you, so you need to follow my plan. And you see, Proverbs 16, 25 says it like this. There is a way that seems right to a man. There is a plan that seems right to, to someone, but in the end is the way to death. So God loves us so much. He's not a cosmic killjoy. He's not trying to throw a monkey wrench into your life just because. What he's trying to do is protect us from us. And, uh, and so he is trying to get our attention because number two, his plans are better than our plans. See, when God messes up your plans and mine, what we need to come back to is this, we need to recognize, you know what? God's plans are really better than my plans. You know, his ways are higher than my ways. The prophet Isaiah says, look at, look at, look at Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So, so in other words, what he's saying is we think we got it all planned out. And we're working on this level, but God's doing about 10,000 things above it. And what he's doing is so much better. And so what, when God messes up our plans, what he's saying to us is I've got a better plan. Trust me, look to me. And so many times our plans are centered on us, on our comfort, on seeking our health and our wealth and seeking to please everyone and have everybody's affirmation. That's kind of the core of all of our plans. And the reality is, is God's not really interested in our comfort as much as he is in our character. You see, all of those things like health and wealth and you know, just being comfortable and pleasing everybody. Those things don't last, but our character lasts forever. And that is what God is doing. So many times we're seeking our comfort and God is pursuing our character. And that's where our struggle is when it comes to accepting God's plan and God's will for our life. And so, yeah, for Mary and Joseph, their plan was very simply to get married and to start a family. God's plan was to start an eternal family with so many sons and daughters coming into the family of God. Just amazing. Now, so we need to realize that, um, you know, God's plans are better than our plans and that God is trying to get our attention. But here's the last one, this is the big one. We need to relinquish control to God's sovereignty. We need to relinquish control of God's sovereignty. Now, what is sovereignty? It just, means, it just means he's in control. It just means that God is large and in charge. And so, and so we need to trust that and realize that, that God's plans and purposes will prevail. And we need to cooperate and say yes and, and surrender to those plans. Do you, do, you know how you, do you know how you know that you're not living according to God's plan? I'll tell you. There are the three F's. You have fatigue, frustration, and fear in your life. That's how you know you're not living according to God's plan. You, you have fatigue because you're worn out. You're living life in your own strength. You're frustrated because, pardon my slang, it ain't working out too good. And so we're frustrated. And then we're, we're full of fear. We're full of worry because we're trying to control the future. And what God wants to say to you today is trust me, surrender to me, recognize that I'm sovereign and you're not, that I'm in control and you're not. And what will happen, church, is this. You're going to experience God's peace and God's power and most of all, God's presence. And I will tell you that in this world, that's all you need. You just need that. But it comes when we say, Lord, I relinquish control of my life to you. My marriage, my kids, my future, my health. God, I just recognize you're in control. And you are good. Your plans are better than my plans. And so you have my attention. So church, as we close today, can I just ask you a question? What are you trying to control right now? Who are you trying to control? Maybe you need to come to that point of just saying, God, I I just relinquish control of my life to your plan and to your ways. You see, that's what Mary and Joseph did. They did it all the way through. That's why we're telling their story 2,000 years after the fact. And so I just wanna encourage you Take that step of faith that says, God, I believe you. I trust your promises and your word. And if I have you, I have all that I need in this life. You think about it <clears throat> from Mary's perspective. You know, the plan of God was unfolding over the course of Jesus, 33 years to her. And I'm sure there were times when she thought she figured it out. She, she knew what was going on. And then all of a sudden she looks up and Jesus is being crucified. And she probably thought to herself, I just don't understand this. I just don't get this. This is, this is the worst thing. How could it end this way? It's, it's, this is the greatest defeat in human history. And what she came to realize, what we all have come to realize Is that God takes defeats and he turns them into triumphs. He takes evil and he uses it for good. He took the death of Jesus and on the third day raised him from the dead. Isn't that great? Can I get an amen to that? And that's the power of God. And that's what God does when you and I surrender to his plan. He raises the dead. He he gives new life where there's nothing but death and darkness. And so Jesus died for you. He came for you. He was born for you. He lived for you. And so now we can have his life in us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we... We marvel at your plans. Uh, we confess that uh, in a year that we've had in 2020, we, we uh, kind of been scratching our head, trying to figure out what in the world's going on. But Lord, I thank you that if we have your peace and your power and your presence, Lord, we, we have all that we need, even when life doesn't go the way we think it should go. We just can trust that your ways are higher than our ways that you wanna reveal yourself to us. And you've really called us to just yield ourselves to you and to surrender to you in faith and to surrender to you in repentance and to rescind, you know, surrender to you in love because where you're leading us is amazing. And so God, we can trust in you. And so God, I pray that you would grant to us faith today. I pray that you would grant to us the gift of surrender today, the gift of repentance today, of trying to force our way onto yours. When really we just surrender to you. We just serve you. We bring glory to you. That's our purpose. So, God, help us to do that today. And I want to give you just a moment, whether you're at home watching online or you're you're on the campus today, just Just to pray a prayer of surrender to yourself, just silently between you and God, right where you are. Whatever you're trying to control, whoever you're trying to control, just say, God, I I just take my hands off and I'm trusting in you. God, thank you for the promise that if we'll trust in you with all of our heart and lean not in our own understanding, if in all of our ways we'll acknowledge you, yield to you, Lord, you will make our path straight. And so may the path in our hearts be straight, straight highways towards you. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.